before us was kind of quiet. You know, you might have had tea and crumpets, you know, and sat around and maybe whispered to each other. You mm -hmm. didn't talk too loud. And then we put um, brass knuckles on it and punched you in the face with poetry. Mm. We gave it a rowdy sound. You know, we, we turned up the volume. And uh, it became a war cry in many ways for a lot of people. Welcome to Cassette Tape Radio. I'm your host, Talia Randall. The voice you just heard belongs to the legendary poet Abiodun Oyewole. Now, I don't use the word legendary lightly. Abiodun is one of the founding members of The Last Poets, a group who laid the foundations for hip-hop. They've influenced the likes of Public Enemy, A Tribe Called Quest, Erica Badu, Common, countless others. Chuck D refers to The Last Poets as the birthplace of rap. Even if you've not heard of The Last Poets before, you will definitely be aware of their legacy. The Last Poets were born on May 19th, 1968, a date which is also known as Malcolm X's birthday, and Abby Oden often refers to The Last Poets as poetic disciples of Malcolm X. The Last Poets are pioneers. They've been sharing their war cry, as Abby Oden calls it, for decades, from parks in Harlem to hit records in the 1970s to becoming scholars, touring the world. They've been putting out albums for decades. Their most recent release was Transcending Toxic Times in 2019. And the year before that, 2018, is when I met Abby Oden and recorded this interview. I was in New York and was put in touch with him. I went along to one of his open houses that he does every week in his apartment in Harlem. Big thanks to Lisa from Apples and Snakes for the connection. We talk about civil rights, the black power movement, how useless language can be at expressing our innermost thoughts, and of course, the legacy of the last poets and their influence on today's poetry and hip-hop. The interview was recorded in May 2018, and there's some light background noise here and there, a phone ringing, basketball on the TV... I think it was the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Boston Celtics. You can hear a few people arriving to the open house. Enjoy it. Can you just tell us about where we are and, and a bit well, about your work? Well, you're in Harlem. Uh, even though many of the uh, good white people don't want to name this area Harlem, they want to call it Morningside Heights. But this is Harlem. I look at the, the valley of Harlem from my window, and uh, I, def I deliberately picked this apartment because... It, 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 I face Harlem and, and, I, and also the trees because that's great oxygen I'm getting every morning, you know? And, um, and this is my apartment. I've been here for 42 years. I started teaching at Columbia University when I was in my 20s and, uh, and it's, been a, it's been a real thrill to be here, to be able to um, still be at this, this spot because this is a very lovely area. The whole neighborhood is very nice. It's quiet. There's no problems. We don't have any gunshots and crazy stuff happening like you have in the hood for the most part sometimes. And the cops don't be racing through here acting silly. Um, and um, it's kind of saying it's over. And on Sundays, I have an open house. I do an open house and I've been doing that for about 39 years or maybe yeah, 39, at least 39 years. 
where I have people come because I play basketball and then the guys, some other guys, you know, I was a poet and they wanted to share their poetry. One thing led to another and I just started cooking food and just having people come over on a Sunday and it just kind of happened naturally. And it's become a thing where people know about it everywhere and a lot of folks, and and try to make it um, a real homely feeling like, you know, I don't even like to buy paper plates. I want people to have real utensils and stuff. And I'll wash the dishes and make sure everything is put away and it's kept clean because I'm a clean freak. You know, <laughs> I want things to be done right. But this is this is my place, and and it's like a if you just look around, you can see all the masks from Africa and see the pictures from all over the world. I'm a traveler. My lady who passed away a few a couple of years ago. She was a super travel agent. She would always design these phenomenal places for us to go to. And my birthday would come and I would be on some Caribbean island, wouldn't know where I was gonna go until I got to the airport. It was always a surprise. And she would hook up for me. And so I've done a lot of traveling, which it also indicates and tells you clearly that I've, I've learned a great deal because when you travel, you really gain a lot more than when you read a book. So uh, I've had the pleasure of being in almost every continent and, and meeting some angels everywhere I've gone, you know? And it's been a, a real beautiful, the journey has been wonderful so far. Um, my ancestors and my gods have been walking by my side. I feel absolutely blessed to be here and to be able to still do what I do best. Amazing, and it's just so incredible that you just welcome people into that and into that story by opening your house, by interacting with all these people wherever you travel. Well, you know, the poetry has taken on a real serious um, kind of a, that genre uh, has has become like probably the most serious in the world now. And I will take, I will say the last poets can take partial credit for that because poetry before us was kind of quiet. You know, you might've had tea and crumpets, you know, and sat around and maybe whisper to each other, you mm -hmm. didn't talk too loud. And then we put um, brass knuckles on it and punch you in the face with poetry. Mm. We gave it a rowdy sound, you know, we, we turned up the volume. And uh, it became a war cry in many ways for a lot of people. And it became an outlet that many people could jump on and express themselves in ways that they didn't think they could express themselves before. Where it was more introverted, when I think, in the beginning and it became something of an extrovert as time moved on. So um, it's, it, it, every place I've been, from Morocco to, I mean, you know, we, we do, there are poetry groups, you know, and of course hip-hop has echoed that because hip-hop is really uh, coming from the, the very root of poetry. You know, it's the same thing except that it's with a beat, and the beat becomes more dominant than the words sometimes. Some of the words are silly. And sometimes the words are very good. Like Melly Mel has recorded a couple of times with us, and he is the author of the message, Messenger, of the Message actually, which is a classic that I think the entire world knows. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that is poetry mm -hmm. to supreme. And we, a lot of us, are very close to the edge, mm -hmm. and and I'm just about to lose my head. You know, those <laughs> things exist even today. Yeah. So, so some cases some of the rappers have been some have written some supremely good poetry you know and you got some that are just writing bubblegum and bs you know and they're not doing much other than just 
uh, getting some of the 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 fluff from being called a rapper, you know. Mm. But this is what I do. Amazing. And can you like? I think it's just so the way that you're describing this journey from tea and crumpets and quiet and whispers to something that was kind of a war cry. You said, mm -hmm. can you tell me a bit about? some of those impulses and where that came from for you and your peers at the time and still now. Well, the, one of the impulses was the fact that Dr. King was killed in April 4, 1968. And that, for me, set it off. And I think not only was I set off or was I, I set afire, more or less, I think the whole world was because this man was obviously a man of peace. He, he, uh, he, he functioned on a, on a nonviolent ticket he was not trying to create um, madness. As a matter of fact, he was trying to stop the madness in every possible way. He was a man of peace and love. Mm -hmm. And my, I could not even have marched with Dr. King because he, he even preached to his congregation, turn the other cheek, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm not the turn the other cheek mm -hmm. kind of guy. My father taught me, he says, if somebody puts their hands on you, he didn't say hit them back. He said break their hands so that when they look at their hand in the cast, they'll know why they shouldn't touch you. Mm. So he was. So that's how I was raised. And then to compound that, the two fights that I had in my life, basically I, I don't really know how to fight, but I'm I, I I go crazy, and so I was nicknamed Panic because I just don't I just hurt you because you you've upset me, and I try not to get upset like mm. that. And thank God I haven't had to, but in a long time. But I have, I've had some memorable moments where I had to at least uh, exercise some um, activity like mm -hmm. that. But um, yeah, King's the death of Dr. King made me realize that I had to be a part of a movement that was not a turn to the cheek. So Black Power movement was coming on the heels of the Civil Rights Movement. So when the Black Power movement came into being. And we were born on Malcolm X's birthday, and he for and he was he represented Black Power. Well, absolutely, you know, really in reality, Malcolm represented human rights. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize that because mm -hmm. he had even planned to go to the United Nations to indict America for actually uh, uh, um, practicing uh, for human rights was something that we had not received. And mm -hmm. if you got your human rights, then your civil rights are automatic. Yeah. So he was coming from another place. And I think when he went to Mecca and discovered that all white folks weren't devils is when his humanity, his whole spirit of humanity kicked in even more. So um, we were coming from Malcolm. I always say we were like poetic disciples of Malcolm X. Mm. And, um, and it's befitting that we were born on his birthday. Yeah. And so that those were some of the, 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 the pulses that, caused my heart to beat. And the fact is that um, uh, just becoming aware, once you become aware of what's going on around you, how how you're being mistreated and abused, uh, and you start dealing with that as a poet and feeling what the people are feeling, uh, you feel almost obligated to, to, to try to do what you can. Uh, to, you can't stay still. You can't just let it ride. You have to jump on it. So The Last Post has been a wonderful vehicle for me to express myself and to for me to share my values and thoughts with those people who care to hear. And like when you're talking about 
you know, the beginnings of the, of the last poets and now that there's been, you've been making more material lately and there's been a big resurgence and, and renewed interest in your work. Can you, how do you see some of the legacy being passed down to younger poets now and in, in the tradition in which you kind of created? Well, first of all, one of the reasons I did this open house was to pass that on because I have quite a number of young poets who show up here at the house. Um, and I think that, you know, I have a theory, power of example is the most moving force. I'm still working and doing what I do. And quite a lot of young people try to imitate that and emulate me and all that, so in whatever way they can. And so uh, I think that the trend has started. I think that all I, and I have, I have a number of mentees, so to speak, mm. young people who come to me with their work for advice. They call me on the phone if they can't be here physically. And I'm patient enough to, to try to work with them because many of them need some guidance. I, I remember when I first started into the arts, I was basically singing, but my mother was a big supporter. She told me my voice was beautiful and she turned to, if I knew the song on the radio, she turned the radio down so she could hear me, called the neighbors in the house so they could hear me. She was always just giving me full support. So I'm that way about many of our young folks who are trying to develop their skills. And, and, and I give them little tidbits uh, of what to do when you're writing poetry, how you uh, have some basic formulas for, because sometimes folks think they're writing poetry and they're not, mm. because poetry is really a fine art. It's not just ranting and raving. It's not just saying something that, that you feel but it's also got to relate to my senses where I can taste it, smell it, touch it, hear it. It's got to, it's got to make me, it's got to create some kind of image that's going to take me on a trip and, I, and, 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 and take me someplace that I can, where I can use my imagination mm -hmm. as well as my reality. And so, um, so the, the, I, have, uh, I, I believe that we've touched that one vein that every human being can connect to. And in terms of this idea of this project that, or this line of inquiry that I'm interested in, what words are ours, language being this tool of self-reclamation and dissent, but also oppression. You know, that when, I heard, when I heard that title, it intrigued me because what words are ours? Um, you're dealing with, and, and then you, you, you had that on my email, I was saying, I'm, it's almost like you're echoing some of my thoughts. Um, I have one of my mentees, is a young lady named Jessica Care Moore, and she did a book called "These Words Don't Fit in My Mouth." Hmm. And 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 then uh, I've always told folks to say, you know, this language is so bad. It's so it's a bastard language that we're speaking. This hmm. English, I said. So black people couldn't be stuck trying to take a language that does not does not speak to the depths of our feelings. So what we had to do was take some basic words and invert them, change mm. the whole thing. So bad in our world ain't bad. Mm. You know, if we say, man, that was a bad dude. No, we don't mean he did something bad. I hit an old lady in the head and took a purse. <laughs> you know, no, he did something wonderful. Mm. So we've had to uh, reverse some of the meanings of some of these words just to satisfy our own um, desires and our 
because the language is insufficient to define our feelings. Mm -hmm. So we had to make sick something wonderful. Mm -hmm. Dope becomes special. Mm -hmm. uh, you say he got stupid sneakers. I mean, it doesn't mean they're uneducated or he's yeah. uneducated. I mean, we so the, and 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 we've done that because of the deficiency and the in, inefficiency of this particular language. Mm -hmm. We've had to make it work for us because a lot of times, and I've got a um, brother in the room now who will tell you that it's not even so much about the words as much as it's about the sound. And the sound, because you can say almost anything, and if you say it a certain way, you can create uh, anger or hostility, or you can create love. It depends upon how you say what you say. Mm. So tone is a great deal, plays a, a great role in, in language and dealing with how we deal with each other. Um, so all of that stuff comes into bear when I think about uh, what words are ours, you know. Uh, we have to claim the language and sometimes we create the language to suit ourselves. Because if we follow Merriam-Webster, we follow the, what is politically correct, we may be constipated for a long time. <laughs> I like that, constipated. It's like a perfect way to describe it, like all bunged up and everything. Yep. And it's like, it becomes like organic and like water, doesn't it? Because it's constantly changing and flowing. Constantly, and... everything evolves. Yeah. I always tell folks we can never have a revolution unless there is an evolution. Yeah. You know, and the evolution has to take place first. Yeah. Because we could have a revolution right now and you don't know what we we're revolting for and recreate the very thing that we just destroyed yeah. and, and defeat the purpose. The purpose is to make this world, as far as I'm concerned, a paradise. Mm. There are certain things that we should never even have to think about money for, like health care, yeah. for example. Food, clothing, and shelter, as far as I'm concerned. If you're here, you should get that automatically. Yeah. But if I, if I say it too loud, Oh, you sound like a communist, <laughs> or you sound like a socialist. So, yeah. communism and socialism should exist in the, in in a, with a certain degree of understanding that yes, you can have capitalism existing at the same time. All those social sciences sciences can exist simultaneously together, but they don't need you don't have to have one overriding everything. And capitalism has become buck wild in America. Mm -hmm to the point where there are people literally starving and there are people that got too much, have a surplus. And, they, and, and, and we even have a president that claims he's supposed to be a billionaire or whatever, and he doesn't care about the poor people, mm -hmm. but yet he does talk that talk to so-called, the, the poor so-called white trash. He kind of gives them a feeling that I'm gonna give you America back so you can feel proud, but he's creating hostilities between mm -hmm. the races by doing that in many ways. And consequently, we have these little wars going on since he's been president, and things are going to continue to deteriorate because he's a lopsided guy, mm -hmm. and he doesn't understand how to be uh, a real people's president. Mm -hmm. uh, we, that passed. That that whole thing passed with Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Barack Obama had a human soul, and uh, and as well as his wife, and they showed some humanity. And they, they didn't do anything specifically for black folks. They did things for the world mm. for them and for the people. I mean, and it was special. And that was, that's why he got another term. And he would have been voted in for another term mm. if they didn't have limitations. But the fact is that as a backlash to him, we got to deal with this Trump character. And uh, I, I try to find everything has a reason. So 
I said, well, maybe Trump is a divine assignment because there are people from all walks of life who are getting together who probably would never have gotten together before. Yeah. So in every jerk, there's a reason for a jerk to exist. <laughs> and, you know, so you say, this guy's a real jerk. He's an idiot. But you know what? You can't discount the wisdom of idiots also. <laughs> That's true, and it's kind of like a reflection of ourselves, isn't it? When yeah. these people rise, these mm -hmm. jerks, these lops. I like lopsided as a way to describe. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he, yeah, he's 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 a bit lopsided. Yeah. And he and he's also not even he's not even an amateur at this. He's never done this before. Yeah. So he's brand new. So he's a novice. Actually. Yeah. You're listening to Cassette Tape Radio, a mixtape style podcast. Each episode totally different to the next. Interviews, comedy, original music and poetry like this. We've been made homeless in language. Kicked out of our own word. A community centre so hostile that we clumsy through umbrella terms. If you're working class, you inherit anger. If you're middle class, you inherit manners. And a house. Snap poll. Which racist do you want on your bank note? They give you the default sitar solo, AKA Indian banjo. Fuck, election time. Got a hang low. This guy's telling me to go back home. Type NW2, what does your sat-nav show? Proverbs for a woman drinking alone. If a woman drinks undisturbed in a forest, does she even exist? A man walks into a bar and ruins the woman's evening. Don't push me. I'm close to the edge. At the end of my tether, whatever the weather, whatever the method, it's all of my effort not to... Oh, I'm doing ten toes. The grindstone never left my nose. I was not born under a rhyming planet. I was born a conclusion to her motherhood. Premature, spitting fire from belly, shattering uterus, taking her womb out into the world with me. And it wasn't until I saw someone on stage rapping away with words that I've used every day for years that the tears started rolling, there was no control on me, mind was unfolding, beholding the true nature of what I had lost, then not reading books is not the real cost. Make sure you subscribe, share it with a friend, leave us a review and carry on listening. But the, the, the performances that we've had in the last 30 years all over the planet have really been um, exciting because there are a lot of people who need to hear the last poets and mm. they're a lot more than just black people because mm. we go to Edinburgh, uh, we were in Edinburgh, Scotland last August and if they had put a sign up that said conversations with the last poets at 2.30 the place was packed, mm. and that didn't say we were going to do any poetry. They're just going to talk to us and ask mm. us questions. But I wanted to try to get to why these people are so much in love with us. 
because we're rebels and they were they were rebellious against England and they mm. understand that whole thing. Matter of fact, when we were getting ready to perform, I, I mentioned I said I kind of felt strange coming into Scotland, and then somebody yelled out "Braveheart!" and I said, oh, "Okay, I got it," because I've seen Braveheart yeah. with Mel Gibson, and he was a rebel. He yeah. was trying to stop England from taking their foot, trying to get England's foot off of their necks, yeah. and so. So uh, we, we're trying to break their leg, too, in terms of all. So, yes, we've been oppressed in America, but there have been oppressed people all over the planet. Mm. And so then we, the last poets kind of, we're like, I guess, in a sense, we become soldiers for humanity, mm. you know? And I kind of like that. You're listening to Cassette Tape Radio. I'm your host, Talia Randall. This is an interview I recorded with Abiodun Oyewale of The Last Poets. We're talking about his influence on hip-hop and poetry and also the nature of language and how it can be a tool of expression and also oppression. Those ideas are directly related to a project I run called What Words Are Ours. You heard us chatting about it in the interview. What Words Are Ours showcases deaf and hearing poets in a joyous poetry knees up. If you Google What Words Are Ours, you'll see various videos connected to the project. It's really strange listening back to the interview and to the political landscape of the time, how dire it was then, let alone now. It's really easy to lose focus and hope and energy right now. I've been struggling with that a lot recently. So I'm going to hand the last word over to Abby Oden for a note on hope and kindness. Show kindness to one another. It's not corny as far as I'm concerned. I think that's yeah. what, I think that's I think that's a wonderful thing to do. I do this because I wanna always be somebody who shares and tries to help raise levels of humanity. Mm-hmm. And this is a human effort that mm-hmm. I make. I, if you're not going to be a poet or a short story writer or a singer or a musician, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Just come and partake. Mm-hmm. Bring good energy. Bring good vibes. Mm-hmm. You know, I want I want to see us feel good about ourselves mm-hmm. in whatever way we we can, because that's a difficult task mm-hmm. for some of us. Many some of us are walking around depressed for no reason, mm-hmm. and I, it, it hurts my heart. I'm a poet. I'm like a sponge. Yeah, you're going to feel that I can, stronger I than others. I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. You know, and, and, and it really bothers me. I mean, it's like Nas, one of the known rappers, has a had a commercial on TV. It's not on TV now. But he says, you know, people tell me stories. I see it in their eyes. I see it in their feet, the way they hold their hands. He says, they tell me stories without ever saying a word. He says, I said, that is a brilliant commercial. Because mm. if you really are a poet, you can read mm. from the actions and the expressions on people's faces almost their whole life story, mm. or at least what's happening with them now. Yeah. And, so and sometimes it's very painful. Yeah. Sometimes when I walk down 25th Street, it bothers me yeah. because I see the pain. And it's sometimes I see the joy too. Yeah. And I'm happy when I see that joy. Yeah. You know, and when somebody has and lights me up with a smile, it just makes my day. I don't know your name. I don't know your parents. I don't know what you practice. I don't know if you're gay or straight, whatever. Mm. You just gave me a smile and boom, mm. I'm smiling. 
This has been Cassette Tape Radio by Talia Randall. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe to us, leave us a review, share it with a friend. Everything really, really helps. Massive thank you to Abby Oden for agreeing to meet with me and record this interview. Big thanks to Lisa from Apples and Snakes for the connection and to the Arts Council who supported this episode with a fund which is now sadly closed called Artist International Development Fund. That was the only reason that I was able to go out to New York and spend that time writing, developing and researching. And massive thank you to Jamie Payne, our musical maestro. All the music is by him and he also does our audio engineering. Tune back in next time. See you later. Bye. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye. 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 See ya. Bye.